Hello, my friends, and thank you for getting with me on this week's episode of Idle Chatter. I am your host, as if you don't know, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road. And I want to thank you once again for tuning in or clicking in, whatever you do, and spending the next day. Who knows what it'll be, right? Probably about an hour. Hopefully I won't go (laughs) too much longer than that. And if you didn't catch last week's show, I just will quickly repeat that I pulled these, uh, well, this week and next week's show ahead, recorded them very early, a few weeks ahead of time, because of my um, art director and web guru, Sue Moore, being on vacation. So she posted these before she went away. And due to that, I am not going to be uh, recognizing anyone's pin in their map that they blessed me with. So please, please give me those pins and uh, I will I will put on hiatus the Hot Rod License Plate Contest, Hot Rod Farmer License Plate Contest. So I will acknowledge everyone who contacts me to give me a pin in my map. And you could do that by going to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com and just filling out the form and letting me know where you listen from but everybody will be recognized and I'll, I'll, I'll do a whole bunch of them and and catch up with the hot rod farmer license plate giveaway once we get back in sync and uh and the reason why i'm doing that is i want to be able to respond to someone and if i don't res- if i can't respond to them in a timely fashion just due to this inherent delay then i don't feel comfortable with that so i'd rather just do it all at one time and get back right in in lockstep with you guys and let me see what else is going on uh it's actually quite chilly today but keep in mind that this show will be recorded two weeks before your uh listening to it it's uh, like 59 degrees for the high today so we need some heat over here in new jersey and it has not been here and it's been very overcast and very cloudy the other day was nice for it was beautifully sunny for a couple hours and uh everybody's crops are looking kind of pale from the lack of sun and uh just a lot of cloudy days a lot of cloudy days and and i know that back about six or seven months ago in the other in a way around the other part the other part of the globe around the world that there were a lot of volcanoes that were blowing up and there was some talk and some concern that the uh that that would cause a lot of overcast days in the spring and through the growing season and maybe that is what is happening here i'm just going to check something here hold on for one second yeah what to do i i'm my my eyes are not that good and i want to see one of my settings here on the soundboard but uh hey whatever it is it is right god willing everything will work out so we will see what happens and hopefully things are going well in your life and in your farm and your operation or whatever walk of life that you are in so now i'm gonna you know once again i always say this it's gonna be a different type of show right i've said that so many times so i guess i don't even know what the standard standard idle chatter show is anymore but i guess this is going to be a little bit nostalgic i feel in a nostalgic mood and hopefully you um, will entertain this and entertain my nostalgia and uh you know the the world let me let me back up and probably say this more succinctly or in a in a <laughs> less 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 offensive way well i i don't know how to be less offensive you know i'm so i'm truly truly tired of so many things that are happening in the world today and i can't and i you know I'm, i was always as a younger man i was always looking through the mer- metaphoric windshield of life looking ahead looking ahead with hope looking ahead with uh, with excitement looking looking ahead for the future and now it almost seems that in life if you sh- if you're cut from the same cloth that i am or i am cut from the same cloth from you is probably the more polite way for me to say it I'm not elevating my status because i certainly have no reason for doing that for my status to be elevated whatsoever but if we're, if we're cut from the same cloth or of the same ilk and you look at things truthfully and realistically there's few things in life today that are better than they were 
30 or 40 years ago. I mean, you could say 20 years ago, but 20 years ago is only 2002. And to my way of thinking, things weren't that great back then. They may have been very good in your personal life, and you'd be great, and you're grateful for that. But collectively, as far as the world condition in society, it really wasn't uh, that good in my estimation, in my opinion. So you'd have to turn the clock back probably to the 70s and maybe early 80s prior to prior to the mid 80s when things started to get a little bit out of control and especially in the major metropolitan areas if you're in a very rural area there was an inherent lag time for things to get to you so uh but so the you know the east coast where i'm located in the west coast actually california you know was the is the is the hotbed for whatever happens i guess and it travels across the country it jumps to the east coast and then goes back to the to other areas like Chicago and Atlanta and what have you, jumps all around, but uh, like a climbing arc, electric arc, jumping all around. But um, it really wasn't, and what I mean by it wasn't that good is that the, uh, so many things in the world were different. And I'm so tired of the, of the world today trying to tell me that I'm wrong, that I don't know how to live, but I don't want to tell anybody else how to live, all right? So, um, and that I have to accept these things, but nobody wants to accept what the traditional values, but I have to accept and embrace all these new values. And even things, I mean, this is, this is not a, a, so, a, a, a social show where I'm talking about the, supposed to be talking about the, the woes of society, it's not, I'm not a social worker, but even when you look at the machinery side, you look at the, the vehicle side, the car side, you look at the farm machinery side, I have to honestly say things were better back 45, 40 to 50 years ago, the late 70s and the early 80s. And to my way of thinking, it was the high water mark for, uh, for machinery and for different, um, different aspects of uh, vehicles and engines and uh agricultural equipment so somebody's probably saying now i guess it all depends on how old you are if you're listening to this and you're 35 or 40 years old you're probably going to just about now click this off and uh <laughs> probably never listen to me again so but if you look at it that we've overly complicated the world and this overcomplication <clears throat> has really got us, excuse me, <clears throat> little to nothing as far as any product productivity. I'm gonna have to do this drags because my uh, my throat is is getting overly complicated. So hold on, guys. All right, that wasn't supposed to happen. Back 45, 50 years ago, my throat didn't do that. So we overcomplicated things, and we put all of this complication in machinery, in farm equipment, and what have you. And then we've all we, we, we've we've overcomplicated life. All right. I mean, why why can't you be what you were born? I mean, the Bible says there's a man and there's a woman. There's no hybrid in between. All right, and uh, I don't know, and I, I, like I said, I long for those days when things were when things were clear, clear cut, and uh, right was right and wrong was wrong. I'm not saying that everybody was as pure as the driven snow by no means, but it just seems that the majority, more than the majority, almost all of society fell into into these norms, and then obviously you had some wiggle room within those norms. But when it came to when it came to vehicles, came to trucks, came to machinery, we've added so much complication to it. Then if you really look at it, it hasn't done much as far as I'm concerned. So like I started to say before and I got myself off track, that if depending how old you are, you'd say, well, those engines, that equipment, that farm equipment back in the 80s and late 70s and early 80s didn't have this and didn't have that and didn't have auto steer. And if you went and bought a pickup truck, you're lucky if it had 250 horsepower, if you got a big block Chevy in it. Right now you could get whatever, 500 horsepower right from the factory and uh, you got 1,000 horsepower muscle cars and we're close to it and what have you. And in that aspect, I would have to say, say you're correct but at what cost did that come 
and of what true intrinsic value is that bringing to society. So the thing is that that you have a a, a, a diesel or whatever one, whether it's a GM or Ford or or Stellantis, right? Like that. What the heck is a Stellantis? Who in their right mind names a company Stellantis, right? So that could tell you a lot right there. But anyway, so do you really need a thousand foot pounds of torque to in a pickup truck? Oh yeah, I mean I'm a hot rod farmer. I mean, right, like the old, like the country song says, a girl can't be too pretty or a car too fast. But really, in all honesty, do you need? Do you really need that kind of power under the hood of a pickup truck, or do you need a, a 800 or 750 horsepower Corvette, or uh, well, what have you? All right. So, do you need? Do you need a, a a tractor, a farm tractor that has 650 horsepower? We say, well, I want to pull a big implement, and I certainly understand the dynamics of trying to amortize the cost of equipment over more acres. I understand the dynamics of saying, well, if I could get more done in the field at a quicker time, oh, hello, Hannah just came up, All right. in, a, in a quicker amount of time, then that that it's better for my farm. And I certainly understand that. And there's a, you know, there's, it's like base saturation in a soil test. There's a sweet spot in everything. And sometimes I think you could go, go too far and just Go away from the mic for a minute. Put Hannah down because she doesn't knock everything over. No, Hannah. Hannah, release. She's 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 uh, she's wanting to claw, claw, hold on to my shirt. So uh, so on in that theme, what today's episode is going to be about? Not me walking down memory lane and telling you how, how better I think things were years ago, but it is going to be a I'm not going to say an ode to the carburetor and gas-powered farm equipment, but I'm going to discuss carburetors and gas-powered farm equipment because to tell you the truth, in all honesty, I personally think there's going to be a resurgence of gasoline power at some level of farm equipment. So before you say, whoa, 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 hot rod, all right, we need to have the diesel. And, and hey, I love diesels. Give me an old Detroit two-stroke Detroit diesel. Give, you know, give me a big cam 400 Cummins. Give me an 8V92 Detroit. Give me a big cat. I understand all of that. But the fact of the matter is, is that with what's happening in this world situation today is that and and to a certain extent what has happened as far as advancing technology because here it is in one aspect i'm telling you i think the clock should have stopped 45 50 years ago we should have stopped printing calendars and just keep the same calendar for from 1978 or something or 1975 but the thing is that because of the change in dynamics and because of you know, we you have to look at before I get into carburetors and gas power fire equipment. So, from my perspective, and this is all from my perspective, you can't just look at you know as as time has progressed as a society, as a world, as a human race, we've been blessed to learn how to do things better. Now, that does not necessarily. No, Hannah, don't go on the soundboard. She's going to mess this all up and. Uh, no, 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 Hannah, come over here. I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get a hold. Hold on for a second. I'll put the dragster on. Alrighty, I'm back. She's got all the wires. She's taken the wires from my microphone and my headset. Then she's pulling them in her mouth. So that's not good. Right. So uh, anyway, as I start to say, you have to be able to determine between learning how to know how, how society has learned how to do things better and the implementation of complication. So, for instance, I'm going to look uh, if you look at a seed and I always reference corn because I raise corn. So that's what I'm the most familiar with. But if you look at any seed, it's so important to have seed to soil contact. So now the thing is that we've come and we know that we've learned that and then there has been i hate to use the word technologies all right we've recognized different ways to implement that and by maybe um having a better closing wheel 
a more more defined closing wheel or a better closing wheel design on a planter. We have something like the Keaton Seed Farm, at the press, which I have on my planter, to press the seed uh, onto the soil. So we've learned about those things, all right, and we were implementing them. So it would be just like somebody coming up with a years ago with a 12-point socket and a 6-point socket. So a six-point socket is is much better for a, a very tight nut or bolt that you don't round it off. It grips it more firmly. Or if you did start to round it off, all right. But it also has its has its negative where there's certain clock positions that'll go on. So if you're working in a tight area, you may not be able to get that socket on there in a breaker bar or a ratchet. Whereas a twelve-point socket gives you more flexibility as far as actually mating the socket to the to the fastener. We'll say that, but so so that's fine that's great that's evolutionary and even as a christian i don't believe i don't believe in evolution that we came from apes but the thing basically is is that we have evolutionary designs we learned how to plant better we learned how to to make a better cylinder head on an engine we learned we learned how to do things more efficiently all right so that's that aspect is all good but what i'm basically getting at have we now <laughs> co-mingled and 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 put and say well we have to put this complexity to learn how to do things better and yes in some way we do have to have a level of complexity all right but for instance if you say well there's the introduction of computers and computers could do math very quickly but my favorite plane airplane the ss-71 blackbird was designed by guys who went to school and did math with a slide rule and a paper and pencil, and that plane still can't be beat. Hannah, you can't come up here anymore. You're not on the podcast. So anyway, so uh, so that's what I'm talking about. And the thing is that so and if you were to so many people have forgotten about carburetors and have and have given the gasoline engine in agriculture. So we're talking about carburetors in general, and then the gasoline engine agriculture. It's been so far, it's it's been so long that that there's been a, a agricultural tractor or piece of farm equipment that has a gasoline engine option or comes with a gasoline engine. So we've all gone to diesels, but now this diesel aspect. Oh, great, love diesels. All right, but you know brings a certain level of complexity that a gasoline engine didn't have and once you start to put these tier four emissions on it and and uh, common rail injection the simplicity and the beauty of the diesel engine has kind of been watered down where it's really not what it used to be it's actually more complicated in many ways than a gasoline engine so what i'm going to do is i'm going to give you a basic tutorial on carburetors because I love carburetors, and for years I taught fuel injection, and I've made no bones about it that a carburetor is, in so many ways, is the ultimate fuel injection system. And uh, but because so many people have either never really understood carburetors, or or they came of age and came into the business where there really weren't carburetors, then they were blamed for a whole bunch of maladies that were not their fault, all right? That, that it, the carburetors got in the black eye. And the same thing has happened with gasoline-powered farm equipment. So hopefully I could succinctly put this together and it could be enlightening to you and it could be interesting and it could be, hopefully, God willing, educational, all right? So you have to remember that when you're dealing with gasoline, that gasoline in liquid form does not is not a suitable fuel. It's a suitable fuel, but it needs to be processed. Just like they take, they you know you take milk from the cow, and then well you don't you could drink it raw. There's nothing wrong with that. But but and they process and they homogenize it and they do all this and they package it. So the same thing happens with gasoline. So gasoline had needs three things for it to happen before it become a suitable fuel for a internal combustion engine. And that, oh geez, Hannah just knocked all over all my papers. But anyway, it has to be broken down. <clears throat> it has to be broken down into small particles, which is called atomized, all right? It needs then to be emulsified, which means these small particles need to be mixed with air. 
So you're mixing it there like a tank mix partner in a sprayer on the farm. And then the third aspect of gasoline, so it needs to be atomized, it needs to be emulsified, mixed with air, and then it needs to be vaporized. And a lot of people think that vaporization and atomization is the same, and it is not. Vaporization is a phase change. So it's from a liquid form to a rarefied form, which we would call a gas, but I don't like to use that because people think I'm talking about gasoline. So it's a rarefied form. Now, the, if by breaking the fuel part, the liquid fuel particles down by atomizing it, it is still liquid. But they're, they're, instead of a bulk fluid, <clears throat> it's, in little, it's in tiny little droplets. And what these tiny little droplets do is allow it to better mix with air all right, because there's much more surface area, and it also allows for the phase change process to occur more efficiently because the heat needs to be used or heat needs to be employed to phase change gasoline. And if you were to look at, <clears throat> at the formulation of gasoline, I have no idea what this, if you hear it, that's little Hannah <clears throat> doing something where I don't even want to know but that's unbelievable these kittens and more are coming so anyway um at about 60 degrees fahrenheit only about 50 percent of gasoline will phase change so gasoline needs heat and that's called the latent heat of vaporization and when you talk about the word latent latent meaning it is not seen so uh if you have something on a stove and you're heating it with a stove, that's not latent because in, I'm using that as a definition. So it's probably somebody out there has got a PhD and is going to tell me otherwise. But for representation is that the word, so it, you see the fire, so that heat is not latent. All right, but the, so the latent heat of vaporization is the heat that you do not see, all right, is what is going to phase change the gasoline. And that's the heat that's either in the atmosphere or heat that is created by the engine and is transferred. So now the jaw, so this is the same dynamics, whether it's fuel injected, throttle body injection, port fuel injection, or gasoline direct injection. All right, so that's the same dynamics are happening. Now the job of the carburetor forgetting about throttling the engine at this particular point but the job of the carburetor is to take the liquid fuel and break it apart so need to atomize it and then it becomes then it becomes in in the throat of the carburetor and through its passages this fuel becomes mixed with air all right so in its pass in the passages the body of the carburetor is something they call emulsion emulsion tubes or emulsion tracks or emulsion passages so that's where it gets mixed with air so this liquid fuels get mixed with air and the job in the of the booster in the carburetor is to take the fuel and atomize it make it in liquid form whereas the job on a fuel injector is that it takes the it takes the liquid fuel and pressurizes it the, the fuel pump pressurizes it and pushes it through an orifice so it would be akin to like a spray can an aerosol can whereas the can is pressurized and you press the knob press the button on the top or the, the, the little nozzle on the top and then whatever is in there your carburetor cleaner whatever uh windex come comes out so it's the same theory now a carburetor works on the pressure differential between the atmosphere on the float bowl and then the low pressure region so i which is a vacuum but by definition a vacuum is a pre is a pressure less than atmosphere so you could have all different levels of vacuum just like you have all different levels of atmospheric pressure but regardless of what the atmospheric pressure is where you are that day that the the low pressure region is going to be created in the throat of the carburetor in the venturi of the carburetor and then what is called the booster which is another ring is inside that carb inside that inventory in in most better carburetor designs all right so there's a booster in there and this booster boosts up 
it actually magnifies and amplifies is probably a better word the pressure differential creates a lower pressure region in the carburetor and then the fuel comes from the float ball through the passages gets mixed with air and gets torn apart and becomes atomized all right so and so that atomization is what is going to happen and is this atomized and mixed with emulsified fuel passes through the passes into the intake manifold and it has heat there from the engine running then or well at first when you start the engine from the atmosphere and that's why an engine needs so much whether it's gasoline fuel injection or gasoline carburetor needs so much of a richer mixture because the rate of vaporization is so poor so we have to throw a lot of fuel at it to get some of it to add to, to vaporize so the engine can run once the engine starts to run you're going to have a heat transfer from the combustion event up into the intake manifold and then it's going to be able to have a higher rate of vaporization the same thing happens with a fuel injector but they're shooting the fuel closer to the cylinder head or on the gasoline direct injection right in the combustion chamber so once the engine fires you have that heat there all right and it's going to allow the fuel to vaporize because the vaporized fuel is what is going to ignite the liquid fuel is not right so now if you look at a carburetor the key to making a carburetor run right is very very simple and this makes no and there's all different types of carburetor designs so if you look at a carburetor on a weed whacker a chainsaw versus a, a, a lawnmower versus a, some some other type of lawnmower design versus a, a rc airplane versus a old john deere tractor grain truck whatever there's different carburetor designs but they all function for all intents and purposes on the same way they're going to they're going to atomize emulsify the fuel and then the job of it vaporizing the fuel is not the carburetors that's 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 the good lords through the latent heat of vaporization but the thing is that the better job the carburetor does on atomizing the fuel and emulsifying the fuel mixing with air is going to allow a more efficient phase change vaporization so if the carburetor does a poor job of that of those two things then the phase change is not going to be very efficient but the same thing happens with a fuel injector if you have an injector <clears throat> and, and and if you are a farmer which 90 probably 90 percent of the people listening to this so you're out spraying a field and you look right you a farmer's always driving his tractor looking over his shoulder backwards to see what's going on all right i mean well i guess if you have one of these new tractors you're not doing that but anyway but a smaller tractor like i do i have and uh so you're spraying the field whatever you're spraying forget about it, it's irrelevant so your sprayer has these tips on it and you have a pump and the pump is building pressure and you're putting and you're taking the, the the spray product whatever it is out of the tank and the pump is sucking it and pressurizing it which is just like a fuel injector and putting it through this boom which would be a fuel or a fuel rail on a fuel injection system and it's and it's shooting it it's pushing it out this orifice right so there's a higher pressure in the in the in the <coughs> the boom hose the line to the line on the boom to the nozzle or tip whatever you want to call it and then there's an orifice there so it pushes it through it and so there's a pressure differential on a sprayer just like there is on a carburetor whereas you have but it's but it's going the other way so we are we're pressurizing the spray i don't want to say adjuvant the spray product we're forcing it through this nozzle and it wants to go high pressure to low pressure so if you have 40 pounds of pressure set on your pump like i spray around 30 pounds of pressure all right and whatever you have an atmospheric pressure that day there is that differential depending upon what the atmospheric pressure is because if they were both the same it would not push out all right and that's why if you turn the pressure down too low that the nozzles just start to drip they don't well the same thing happens in a carburetor so if you have some of if the if the some of the passages or what they call the air bleeds which introduces air into the emulsion circuit 
right? Or you have the throttle angle set wrong, is that you're not going to have a strong signal, and the signal being the differential, and the booster is not going to do a good job of breaking the fuel apart. It would be just like you not having enough pressure with your sprayer and you're dripping and you're dribbling the product out instead of spraying it now getting back to a fuel injector a fuel injector works the same way so just like you could have a plugged tip on your sprayer and then instead of having a nice conical spray all right if it's if it's that type of nozzle and then we have today on sprayers we have well, the past number of years, air induction nozzles, right, where they're introducing air. Well, that's a carburetor, all right? So they're emulsifying. There's emulsification going on because they're introducing air. And if you look at that that air-inducted spray tip, all right, they're going and they're bringing air in. So what's happening is that the, the atmospheric pressure, but the siphoning effect, the speed of the... Of the uh, of the spray product going through the tip is what's actually causing this uh, a siphoning effect that we'll leave it that way it's hard to on a podcast it's hard to uh to um, to truly explain that without being too verbose and going on for 15 minutes but it's a siphoning effect it's and that's how a carburetor works it works on to a certain extent on the siphoning effect and inside many carburetors they actually have what is called a siphon break depending upon the carburetor design but there's some way to break that siphon effect so if you're going down the road and you and you when you you jump on it and you lift the throttle or even if you're just just in the throttle and lift the throttle quickly because now we close the throttle with a high differential that if you didn't have it, it would, the, the carburetor would want to still pull fuel and be rich so if you were to look at your sprayer tip and look at a carburetor there's so many so many things that come and cross over all right with it i mean it's not one for one but it's the same theory of operation it's the same the same functionality it's the same laws the same laws of physics but if you have a carburetor that is that is functioning properly now then this engine will run beautifully regardless of the weather conditions because a carburetor is self-compensating you say how can that be self-compensating it's self-compensating because it's actually working off the pressure differential like i say what the, the atmospheric pressure in the float pole and the low pressure region inside the throat of the carburetor the venturi of the carburetor so so i want you to to put to bed the idea that a carburetor stalls a carburetor runs rough or a carburetor doesn't start in the cold a carburetor doesn't start in the hot it does all all those things that's that that's hooey that's 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 100 percent wrong yes i'm sure everyone has had carburetors that have done that all right but there was something wrong with them just like if you go into the field and and i look at like i was saying a couple of weeks ago in the show that part of my field really got super saturated had a little had some standing water but even if it wasn't didn't have standing water the ground was so saturated that the corn either died right there because it was too young it couldn't take that and you have to remember that i'm not an agronomist and i know i have many agronomists listening all right that that it's not dirt in the field it's soil and it needs to have water and air passed through it so it needs to have air passed through it and when you super saturate the soil you're choking out all of the oxygen so if you choke out all the oxygen the plant eventually dies and because in those sections of the field my the, the corn was very very young it could not take all of that moisture and because we had chilly weather and overcast weather that it 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 didn't evaporate it out so it stayed there and stayed wet so in essence what happened was the oversaturated soil choked out a portion of my crop in this second planting and then in the other plantings the first planting what it did was that it did maybe didn't set, it didn't choke the plant out but it did gave it 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 added i'll say gr- gasping for air 
because it had too much moisture and not enough air. So the thing is that so the so the plants didn't mature. They they don't look healthy. It'd be just like you covering covering somebody's mouth up and say, "Oh, they're starting to turn blue. They're starting to turn blue." Well, the corn doesn't turn blue. The corn doesn't look vibrant and starts to turn <laughs> starts to turn yellow. Right, but now let's go back to that so if you have a carburetor that has dirty bleeds in it air bleeds in it if you have a carburetor that has dirty passages in it then what is going to happen is that just like my corn got flooded out and displaced or the saturated soil displaced the oxygen that is needed for the plant to live the same thing is going to happen in a carburetor so what you will do is you will see that the carburetor will dribble fuel the carburetor will not be breaking the fuel apart and if it breaks it apart it's not going to be introducing the oxygen the emulsification so now you're going to have a carburetor that's actually dripping to a certain extent all right and and starving starving the emulsification process which is not to be fooled with saying that oh it doesn't has a dirty air filter or the throttle is not open no we're not talking about that that just like my super saturated soil even though there may be no water standing on the field in that particular location still effectively killed my crop because it didn't allow enough air to get in and it stayed too wet and then some of it rotted and what have you all right so the same thing happens with a carburetor and that's why it's so important that to have all of those passages inside the carburetor clean and if it's a multi-piece carburetor for it to be kept kept sealed and tight snug all right that's why they have gaskets or o-rings in there because if you have so let's think of a pump let's say if you have a pump on your sprayer of any type of pump a pump has a suction side and a pump has a pressure side well the carburetor really doesn't have a pressure side the pressure is mother nature but the suction side is created by the movement of the piston i don't care whether this is a low weed whacker or, or, or a thousand horsepower drag race engine the same dynamics is happening so if you have internal leaks inside that carburetor so a gasket is not sealing an emulsion passage it's not sealing an air passage properly well once you have you're not going to see those leaks because those are air leaks and it's different than a vacuum leak a vacuum leak is go look at this hose is off and sh- you hear it sucking no these are internal leaks and if anybody is familiar with transmissions automatic transmissions that's is what happens lots of times to transmissions is that or any hydraulic system you get an internal leak so instead of the fluid being directed where it's supposed to go it's being it's being bypassed internally or going someplace else or what have you so that is very very common in an automatic transmission as as the gaskets and seals start to age where it starts to get into and yes it's not leaking transmission fluid on the floor on the ground it has an internal leak but the same thing happen can happen in a carburetor so not only can those passages get dirty all right and gummed up and be blocked but if they're not sealing properly for whatever reason some carburetors use o-rings some carburetors use gaskets is that you will have an internal leak and if you have that internal leak then it is going to dramatically affect the way the carburetor is going to function so it is very and the same thing will happen like with a little uh um like on a chainsaw all right i'm not going to get into each different type of carburetor on a chainsaw but if you have there's that one main well on my steel chainsaw i forgot what gas what they call a gasket and that gasket starts to uh to starts to deteriorate matter of fact bruce i hope you're listening bruce i'm gonna kill your name again jack you Barkus, because a while back i did a uh a show about uh, ethanol and small engines and i noted bruce is a you know is a very knowledgeable very knowledgeable man as far as machinery and mechanics and fabrication is concerned you know and he i know that he's had a number of of issues from ethanol and gasoline and the and and the crux of that show was saying that some people have issues and some don't have issues so it has to be something else going on but bruce i was thinking about you well, this was a couple of weeks ago. I meant to say it because I wanted to go into the other field to, pl- to get ready to plant, to, 
to, to cut down the cover crop, burn it down, put down my fertility, what have you, and a tree fell down. So oh, when I meant to get that out in the spring, and and honestly, with, with Donald going away and being missing and still waiting for him, I, got, I really, really got messed up. But anyway, so I, and then we had a lot of rain, so I couldn't go in the field and what have you. So... So I said, well, I got to get this this tree this tree down so I could you know go and whatever I can't leave that leave it laying in the cornfield like that. So I go get my trusty steel chainsaw, all right, which I haven't run since last year, and I had the paperwork for I bought in 2017, so it's five years. It was almost five years old to the day. I think it was like five years old in three days, and it always started and ran great, and that was one of the. One of the uh, examples I use saying I never had any problem with the ethanol and the gasoline. <laughs> Son of a gun. <clears throat> it didn't want to start. It didn't want to start. didn't want to start. So I said, oh, God, I got a you know, five-minute job cutting this tree up and throwing it into the hedgerow so I could go and I could spray the field the next day. And then I'm jerking around for three hours pulling the rope on a chainsaw. So taking, you know, taking the plug out, and this is where the take-home message here so is the plug was wet so you say oh the plug was wet it's getting gas yes it's getting gas but is it is it is it atomizing the fuel and emulsifying the fuel all right so that is what the whole key is so lots of times with those engines with those specifically those smaller engines any engine but specifically those little you know two-stroke engines is that there's components in the carburetor gaskets seals whatever you want to call it. i'm just going to say generically i'm not going to go through each well on a steel it has this on a craftsman has this all right they all function basically the same way they may get there in a slightly different path all right is that if you have an internal leak in that carburetor all right or you have something going on in there then yes, it's getting fuel, but that fuel is not being broken down into small particles. It's not being atomized. So now it wets the spark plug. And once you wet the spark plug, what will happen is the gasoline, I mean, not gasoline, the, the, well, yes, the gasoline will act as a conduit and the electricity is lazy. It'll take the path of least resistance. So in lieu of jumping the gap of the spark plug, what it will do is it'll follow the wet spark plug to ground because that's a lot easier than jumping the gap and then ultimately it doesn't start so after a lot of jerking around with it but most importantly and i mean this sincerely just saying a prayer i said lord please i said bruce bruce is right this carburetor got messed up from the ethanol took five years but it got messed up and it probably did get messed up from that but the good lord blessed me i said a prayer i said lord I said, please let this chainsaw start so I could get this tree out of the field. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. I need to do these procedures. It's supposed to rain the next two days. I'll be so far behind. And this is and and I, I just stopped, said a prayer, and I said, Let me go, you know, because you have to pray in faith, right? Because you can't pray. So I'm going to pray. And and that doesn't mean everything that you bring before the Lord is going to happen like that, like a genie in a bottle. Okay, I snap my fingers, Lord, this is what I want. But in this particular instance, it was his will to have me come to him. And after two more pulls of the saw, after about two hours of jerking around and taking the spark plug out, taking the air cleaner off, looking at the carburetor, not taking the carburetor off, all right, and trying to spray spray with carburetor cleaner, what have you, trying to just doing anything, right, to try to make this thing to start so I get this tree out of field. She started and she ran and she, 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 she bucked a little bit and she cleared out and I put some fresh gas in it and she ran beautifully and subsequently I started the next week and it ran beautifully. So Bruce, I dodged the bullet on this one, all right, but the bullet was dodged by the grace of God and that most likely is indicative of what you were saying is that the carburetor is starting, to, the gaskets and components not the metal components of the carburetor has started to deteriorate after five years all right so so i just wanted to tell you that because i was thinking said bruce is right bruce is right because he has all steel parks five years this thing is not running so but to get back on track of what i'm talking about here is that 
When you have a carburetor, it's so important for you to keep it clean, keep it tight. Now, keep in mind that the gaskets, even before ethanol, the gaskets will deteriorate over time That they'll, they'll because they're made of some sort of cork or some sort of, I'll say, paper type of material for gasket material, and they'll wick in moisture, and then you have the thermal expansion and the contraction, so things loosen up. And lots of times when you have a problem with a carburetor, it has an internal leak, and historically that internal leak has to do with air, not so much with fuel, but is represented by seeing fuel dripping out of the booster or no fuel because it's completely losing the signal there. It's like having a garden hose with a hole in it. You turn on the spigot, you're 100 feet away, there's no water, there's no water. But I got the spigot turned on. Doesn't mean that the well is dry, doesn't mean your well pump is bad, but there's a hole in the hose and it's coming out. So that's very, very important. The other thing that's very important, if you understand, especially with automotive style carburetors, all right, and not like so much on a chainsaw or what have you, but we'll touch on that quickly, is that the idle mixture screws are paramount to how that carburetor is going to function. And there's a misnomer that the idle mixture screw only impacts the idle quality. No, that is the idle mixture screw has has, has a um, an effect on the engine above idle. And sure, and as you open the throttle more, then what's going to happen in the, what we use in the in, in carburetor speakers, it starts to lose its authority, but it is still impacting the way the engine runs and supplying fuel. So a common mistake that people make with a carburetor is that they, and I'm going to say an automotive style carburetor, that they do not adjust the idle mixture properly or give any... Uh, any credence that the problem that they may be having at 1800 rpm on the load on the slight load is is rooted in the idle mixture because a carburetor works on a building block theory so just like if you were to build a foundation all right of a building that the first block and the footings are very important you can't say that the heck with the footing the heck with the first block i'm going to start on the third floor the building is not going to stand. And just like if you have seed to soil contact when you're planting, or you say, I have no seed to soil contact, I don't give a damn about that. Well, well, you're not going to have germination and ultimately you're not going to have emergence. So the same thing is going to happen is that many people get led astray to a carburetor because they do not have the idle mixture adjusted properly or the idle mixture passages have become have be, have become gummed up and if you were to look at a lot of smaller carburetors for instance like on chainsaws and weed whackers they have a mixture adjustment they have what they call low speed and a high speed that's a little bit different than an automotive style carburetor works this it's the same theory but they're breaking the two circuits apart on a automotive style carburetor which would also be found on a older gasoline type of farm tractor right they they have air bleeds and the so they have high speed and low speed air bleeds but they tr traditionally have just an idle mixture screw they don't have a high speed idle mixture like you would on a chainsaw or a weed whacker or what have you on those two stroke engines now the other thing to keep in mind is that whereas you'll have a lot of older gasoline farm tractors and they'll have an idle mixture screw and they'll have some sort of power enrichment adjustment now on an automotive style carburetor they have either what's called metering rods or they have uh, a power valve and years ago that was called an economizer valve and that used to confuse people so how can it be economizer it's richening the mixture i'm going to use put more gas and that costs money right especially today 4.99 a gallon over here in town 4.99.9 you can't forget that all right well what would happen is that prior to the advent in automotive style carburetors the advent of having a power valve or metering rods which was an enrichment circuit is that the idle and main metering circuit would be overly rich to have enough fuel to 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 an, enough gasoline to fuel the engine under extreme load so that is why the the early 
those early circuits were called economizer circuits because they were allowing the designer to to bring the air fuel ratio to lean it out and not have to throw a lot of fuel at it for the for the sake of saying I would need that fuel under load. That would be like somebody saying, well, you know, I'm going to buy a one-ton pickup truck because I may have to carry more than a ton. But 99% of the time, I don't need to carry a ton, so I'm driving around this big pickup truck, right? So it's the same theory, whereas you have a lot of older gasoline um, farm tractors that they would have an idle mixture adjustment and then they would also have some sort of power enrichment adjustment. Lots of times the power enrichment adjustment had a T-handle, like a Marvel Schreibel carburetor or what have you. All right, and then, so what you would need to do is adjust that mixture, that other part under power, under load, right? But you have to keep in mind that the idle mixture screw is going to have influence on the air fuel ratio and if that idle mixture screw if that passage is gummed up or dirty then instead of that fuel coming out of that idle mixture passage which is going to atomize because it's going to be pulled by the low pressure region the high pressure on the float ball is going to be pulled apart it's going to dribble and when it dribbles the engine is not going to run right it's going to it may stall it's going to surge it's going to run rough right it's going to act like it's rich and lean at the same time and you say how can it be rich and lean at the same time for the simple reason being is that you don't have a good atomization so if you don't have a good atomization one particular point you're getting some fuel and it's phase changing so that may be okay or it may be on the rich side next the next dribble is not enough or it doesn't have enough enough heat there to phase change enough oxygen to emulsify it so it's acting rich and lean at the same time it's be like looking in a field and saying that the that that the, the, the your crop looks like it's deficient and it's over fertilized if that's a good analogy all right so the thing basically is that so it is very very possible but that's usually rooted in a carburetor that has a plugged or dirty idle fuel delivery passage or idle air passage so either one of those is going to end up with this with almost the same result not verbatim but almost the same result so it's very hard for you to determine that but that is it's all what you need to do is determine that the problem is in the idle circuit so if the problem is in the idle circuit it's either gonna it's either it's either the idle passages are gummed up or the air bleeds are gummed up those are the only two things a boy or girl nothing in between right oh this is 2022 so you can't have something in between a boy and a girl all right but so but in the carburetor you can't carburetor is old school baby it's a boy or a girl it's either fuel or it's air it's nothing in between so that is important for you to recognize so the thing is that when you come and you look at it the most you don't have to be what you if this carburetor is an original carburetor from that engine and i've spoken about this before on the show is that and what i mean by original carburetor it wasn't like somebody bought a rebuilt because lots of times with the with these with these rebuilders they take the same they take parts that fit from the same family of carburetors but the orifice size or the jet size or the air bleed size is wrong so the thing is if this was the carburetor that was bolted on from the factory and i don't care if it's 60 70 80 years old or 25 years old if this is the carburetor was bought on from the factory then you know if you're having a problem with that engine you know for a fact without a doubt that that carburetor is designed and put together with the proper parts so then you have to look at well what changed over the years somebody miraculously at night some elf then go in there and drill out the air bleeds or change the power valve or change something so with that particular point what you have to do is you have to apply critical thinking and say well it was designed right all right it was designed right it was everything was right on it and over time it's changed so that means that the passages got gummed up and dirty so fuel passages air bleed passages and then all so those the air bleeds feed the emulsion passages so the thing is that and or and probably usually it's collectively of all, all these things is that it has an internal leak 
and how and that internally because the gaskets have deteriorated, the accelerator pump has well that has deteriorated. But the accelerator pump has it could have an internal leak because you're pressing with the plunger. So if the plunger cup is bad, the the gasoline is going right past the plunger cup, which would be considered an internal leak. So so at that particular point, that carburetor needs just to be regasketed and cleaned, and then it will be back to square one. So just like when I look in my field and I look at my different plantings, so the one field they have four different plantings, and you could come in there and say, look at this whole row for what for 200 feet there's nothing there so so it'd be easy to say well the planter screwed up right meaning the, the planter the seed meters what have you would something happen and it's not because the right next to it the soil conditions were different the water wasn't laying and i have a beautiful stand so that beautiful stand is showing that there's nothing mechanically wrong with the planter the driver of the tractor being me wasn't all messed up all right and and and, and did something wrong because but over there there was dynamics in the soil conditions whatever it was in that soil condition all right that did not let the plants to come. So for for I have a two-row planter for for both row units. So if you were to look and say, well, a planter shut off, it wasn't the planter shut off. The planter wasn't messed up because two two rows over, it's beautiful picket fence stand. So you know that the conditions in the field were wrong, right? There was something wrong with the conditions in the field. And the same thing I want you to look at with a carburetor that when Briggs and Stratton or Ford Motor Company or John Deere or anybody else uh, uh, Walker Shore Engines designed that carburetor or had a carburetor company design and work with them they didn't say oh man we don't know what to do here we don't know if this thing is going to work all right that thing worked beautifully and worked fine so the telltale sign is that when you start to have an engine that ran fine and as a carburetor is now giving you a problem no Hannah like Hannah is over here giving you a problem is that then it's usually dirty or loose or has an internal leak that's it all right so just like so there's no great mystery to it now when we go on the fuel injection side well the same thing is going to happen is that but the injector itself can be clean but you need to run a chemical through it to clean it all right but the thing is that if the injector is not atomizing the fuel properly then it's like your sprayer tip where instead of having a nice conical spray or in most tips i mean i have the seven hole nozzles that i use to put down my liquid fertilizer so those come as a stream but we're going to forget about those all right so the thing is that or you have a nozzle a tip on a sprayer and it's an air induction tip and now you look at the spray pattern it's going over to the side or i'm going to use the word crudely it's pissing in one direction has a stream or down then that is like a plugged air bleed in a carburetor so you need to get out there and look at that because it's not introducing that air into that stream and that the design of that sprayer tip is meant to work like a carburetor so there's a signal there and it needs to see that for it to function properly so like i say when you look at a carburetor and you look at a sprayer yes a carburetor is a lot more complicated than a spray tip on a boom simply because there's many different circuits but if you break down the circuits one by one and look at them in your mind but fundamentally the float circuit and the air bleeds and the idle circuit are are going to be the building block the seed to soil contact for everything after that so you could put down the best the best agronomic program you could put down the, the everything the best right you could have the best seed meter you could have the best downforce pressure on your closing wheels you could have the best closing wheel but if you don't get that seed to soil contact then you're going to have very lazy or late emergence or even possibly no emergence at all all right so the thing is that so fundamentally those are the things with a carburetor you don't need to redesign the carburetor you need to say if this carburetor is acting up then we have an issue and it is usually 
either gummed up passages, either air or fuel, because people only think of a carburetor for fuel, but you have to think of air also because it's the emulsion, the emulsion passages and the air bleeds that introduce this air, all right, either has an internal leak or the carburetor itself is loose. And, and you could have a multi-piece carburetor, it's two or three pieces, so one piece could be loose and then it has an internal leak. So the, it's leaking air, it's not leaking fuel. And people can, well, there's nothing wrong with it because I don't see gasoline pouring out of it. The only time you're gonna see gasoline pouring out of a carburetor for all intents and purposes would be if the fuel line is leaking or if the needle valve is stuck and it's not pouring out, it'd be coming out of the, the bowl vent and the bowl vent is critical because that's where the bowl senses, senses atmospheric pressure. But if, it's, if you have a problem then it's dripping down inside the throat of the carburetor. So that is the, so most of the time when you have a problem with a carburetor, it is the air that is the leakage or the problem and not allowing the fuel to be pulled and most of the time all right so i'm and this is what well, this hat is like a one one kitten wrecking crew here i mean so so keep that so keep that in mind and you know if you have a lawn tractor you have a seed tender motor you have an old gasoline farm tractor on the farm which i personally wish they would bring back gasoline tractors like my tractor is a diesel i love it yes there is there's there's efficiencies for diesel but mine is older it's 20 years old now sadly to me to the bohax farm that's new i bought it new right so that's a the traditional pump line pump what the heck is going on with this cat this kitten pump line nozzle diesel engine all right so very very simple great you know great great engine great concept love it the pieces but the fact of the matter is you get a lot of these tractors 80 and 90 let's say 100 horsepower or below they would be better served with a gasoline engine i mean they really would be all right you don't have all of these emission controls they're, they're simpler all right and and uh and i would go i would go as far as saying not even a fuel injected gasoline engine of course you're adding complexity but bringing back a carbureted gasoline engine on them all right so the thing is that now will that happen i doubt very much if it will happen but i think that there is a, that that it should happen because somebody who's going and buying let's say a little compact tractor what the heck does he need diesel for is not need the complexity of diesel even though it's a pump line nozzle additizing the fuel putting a lubricative anti-gel in it all this other stuff right all right uh injection pump you put a carburetor on it simple beautiful wonderful and does does a great job so as i get ready to close here i want to stress to you that number one is that the carburetor when it left the factory worked worked the design is not faulty okay if the carburetor is acting up it's going to be either it's going to be plugged fuel passages or plugged air passages or an internal leak and this internal leak means and the internal leak historically is air related because the air remember is going to pull the fuel so if you have so it's air related or it's not emulsifying the fuel and that leak could either be because of a gasket that is deteriorated or it could be because the carburetor itself loosened up all right and from thermal cycling and remember when you tighten things on a carburetor if it's a multi-piece carburetor you're not tightening a lug nut on a semi you want to be able to just make it snug and you always want to make sure that you do it in some sort of crisscross pattern because most carburetors my father used to call it white <coughs> white metal is are made of a, of a material that is very easy to warp and if you start to warp some of that and then you're going to have a perpetual internal air leak and that carburetor is going to be junk all right uh <clears throat> it's going to be junk that used to happen years ago with the slant six chryslers very common it had a holly 1920 carburetor and that was a non-cross flow cylinder head so the exhaust manifold the intake manifold were right there underneath the carburetor a lot of heat would come up and so it had a um, it had a side hung float bowl a typical holly design with a metering block behind it and lots of times that that 
gasket would deteriorate around the float ball. And if I remember correctly, it only had four screws holding the float ball, one top, bottom, and in each corner. So the gasket would start to deteriorate. And what would happen is the mechanics would tighten up that gas, tighten up those screws, and they would start to bow not only the float ball, but they would start to bow the metering block. And the metering block, the other half of the metering block, was actually cast into the body of the carburetor. Right, so it was so it was just like if you look at um, on an automatic transmission, they call it a worm track. So if you were to look like a turbo hydromatic 350, turbo hydromatic 400, I don't remember about a torque flight or not, but you had the valve, but well, they all had valve bodies. But on let's say a turbo 350 hydromatic, that the other half of the valve body actually was the casting of the the passages were in the case of the transmission. I was going to say the carbon in the case of the transmission. And they used to call that a worm track because it looked like a worm track, all right? So the thing is that that particular carburetor is that the metering block was only half of the passages that had like a worm track behind it, all right, to a certain extent. It wasn't as complex as it was is an automatic turbo-hydromatic 350 or 400 transmission. But so you would get this internal leak and this carburetor would never run right. You never could get this carburetor to adjust. It was simply because you over-tightened it and you started to warp it. And because of the way Chrysler had that design, it had a lot of heat cycling because of the exhaust manifold was right underneath the intake manifold and the carburetor was sitting right there. So keep that in mind. Whether it's Whenever you're dealing with a carburetor, it's not inherently bad. It's inherently good. And it's usually because of because of varnish forming, gum forming, and just dirt forming in an air bleed or what have you, internal leak or the carburet itself became became loose. And you have to remember, before I get ready to close here, is that if you have a carburet that became loose and the gasket started to deteriorate and now you snug it up, you're only partially sealing that internal leak for the most part. There may be an instance where you're not, but for the most part, because once the gasket started to, to deteriorate, all right, and you couldn't get the compression that you needed of the gasket, you're actually crushing the gasket, and the gasket is starting to deteriorate, is that you usually are not going to have, a com- you're not going to completely seal off that internal air leak. And it's just like with an automatic transmission, if the gasket, you start to get, or you start to get, an, let's say, an O-ring, or starts to leak in the accumulator, all right, and you, you whatever, you do something, that's maybe a poor example, but the thing is, because you really can't do anything other than change the O-ring, or the seal, it may not be an O-ring, it could be a seal in the accumulator, is that the thing is that you're not going to, you, you may steal up that leak a little bit, but you're not going to, you're not going to, to completely, completely eradicate that leak because once it starts to leak past there, it is going to leak more and more and more. So just keep that in mind. So listen, even though I wish it was 1954 in the world today when men look like men, women look like women, I could go to the I could uh, I could go to the car dealer and buy an American made car made on American soil from an American company that a farmer could go and have 50 acres and some dairy cows and make a living and do very well and send his kids to school and what have you and, and, and get married and have a house and I could go out and you could go to a school and not get shot, all right? And, and and not get shot that you could go out into the road and the roads aren't busy and all these things and the truth was the truth, not what the truth, what you wanted it to be though i long for that world a small part of that world still exists in every carburetor that you come into contact with whether it's from your chainsaw to an antique tractor an antique truck antique engine or what have you part of 1950 part of the the world that i long for the america i long for is found in that carburetor so listen i thank you so much for for tuning in and i'm going to get out of here because hannah's going nuts and she's going to press on this this uh this soundboard you have a blessed day you know the hot rod farmer's pulling for you the american farmer and rancher even though it's 2022 bye bye thank you <laughs>